It's been a year and a half since schools had to start reporting students' progress against the national standards in reading, writing and maths. But the controversy over the standards shows no sign of abating, and Friday brought the latest milestone in the fight. It was a final day for primary and intermediate schools to send the Ministry of Education their targets for students' achievement against the standards this year. But around 350 schools have planned to defy that requirement. In this Insight programme, Radio New Zealand's education correspondent, John Gerritsen, finds out why some schools oppose the standards so strongly, while others have accepted them. These children mightn't know it, but they're walking through an education battlefield. It's a war over the national standards, the government's new benchmarks in reading, writing and maths that every school with children up to year eight must use. The standards have prompted votes of no confidence in the Minister of Education, protests at Parliament and petitions. But the policy is still rolling on. For parents and the general public, it's a sometimes confusing issue. Why are some schools so fiercely against the standards, while others seem quite happy with them? And though most schools have been using the standards since the start of last year, some parents still aren't sure what they're all about. So an explanation of the standards is a good starting point for this Insight programme. For that, I turn to the Ministry of Education's Head of Curriculum, Mary Chamberlain. The national standards set expectations for what we want students to be able to know and do in reading, writing and maths at each year of their schooling. Sometimes I compare them to uh, signposts on a, on a tramping track. You know, the signposts say, this tramp will take you three hours, and there's sort of signals along the way about how long it might take you. So the standards are like signposts on a journey for students. They set out what most people can be expected to do and the rate at which most people can be expected to achieve. So the signals are clear. Now you said there were signs of where we would expect most people to be, yeah. but are they really Really, I thought that they were set independently of what we might think to be normal achievement. Well, there are two key issues in relation to where the standards are set. One is that for a decade there's been no significant shift in the bottom levels of uh, student achievement in relation to the OECD. And the second one is that the literacy and numeracy skills required for life and work have really changed over the last uh, few years. It's a bit like a, a driver's licence. The standard, a driver's licence is the standard, and the standard for driving today is much more complex than the standard for driving would have been, say, 50 years ago. So we haven't kept the standards at today's levels. We haven't set them in relation to current norms, if you like, where the average student is achieving. We have set them in most cases a little higher than that because we want to put a stretch in the system so what does it mean to a parent if they look at their child's report and they come home and there's information about where they're at compared to these national standards? What is it telling them? What it will tell parents is, is their child on track for success in being able to learn in all other subjects? Are they on track for success to achieve NCEA Level 2? Are they on track to be able to have the reading and writing skills needed to be able to learn in science and the arts and other subjects? So that's the standards. They don't compare children to each other or to average levels of achievement for their age. They're a benchmark of where the government would like to see them achieving, at each year level. Educators like the principal of Solway Primary School in Masterton, Gail Marshall, are quite happy with that. Well, the national standards are very similar to what we were doing before national standards came in. So for us at Solway, it wasn't a huge commitment in a big change. 
But in saying that, there has been change in practice with our teaching staff and the adjustment to the national standards, but we feel quite comfortable with what we're doing. But for the principal of Island Bay Primary School in Wellington, Perry Rush, the standards are a serious threat. This is an educational problem. These flaws are very significant in an educational sense and we're just rather horrified that the Ministry and the Minister aren't able to come to the table and sort this out in a sensible and well-mannered way. In fact, Perry Rush is so worried about the standards, he became a leader of the opposition to them. This is a presentation that I use when I'm speaking with boards of trustees and school groups uh, around New Zealand. You've been giving this presentation quite a few times? Yes, that's right. Yeah, no, very, uh, a very significant number of times. Um, and my board chair in particular... Perry Rush is a spokesman for the group of 350 or so schools that's refused to set targets using the standards. The board's taking action coalition. The first of his complaints about the standards is a lack of consistency between schools. He says different teachers could look at the same child's work and make completely different judgments about where they're at against the standards. You can think of these standards as being a little bit like a big dig at a beach in summer. The standards are buried somewhere, the teachers all line up on the uh, lines and when the cap gun goes, you race in as a teacher and you dig for the standard. Where one teacher finds a standard, another teacher finds it in a different location. It's a real mess and getting the same judgments about these standards is actually impossible. It's a very, very significant problem. Perry Rush says the problem lies in the imprecise definitions used for each standard, combined with variations in teachers' interpretations of those definitions. You have statements like this, the difference between the standard for Year 6 and Year 5 students is the increased accuracy and speed in reading a variety of texts across the curriculum, their level of control when they read, and their independence in selecting strategies for using text to support their learning. Now instantly, when you, when you have a look at a statement like that, there are some questions. If we're going to assess children against that standard in every school through the country, and it's going to be precise, then what is the standard for the speed in reading? What is the standard for their level of control and independence in selecting strategies? So there are those questions that arise when you look at these standards. They are fuzzy. Teachers are guessing what they mean, and therefore any data that falls out of using these standards is highly questionable on a national stage. Teachers make their decisions based on information like test scores and examples of students' work. It's called an overall teacher judgment, or OTJ, and there's no single national standards test or exam. But at Solway Primary School, Gail Marshall and her deputy principal Viv Booth say when they've compared their judgments to those of teachers at other schools, they've been pretty similar. And that's despite the fact that Solway, as Viv Booth explains, has its own very individual take on the standards. As a staff, we've worked together and looked at the below, the at and the above. And we didn't want to lock children into at specifically as it is in the national standards. So we've given, if, if you look at this reading progress chart here, we've given a buffer. If a six-year-old comes along and they're reading at blue three, for example, that is not actually at the national standards as it is in the documents, but we feel they are at for us because they're nearly there. So we've given in our reading progress tracking sheets a buffer for the at because we know they're going to get there. We wouldn't do that if a child was well below. But that's something Solway Primary have decided. This is what we have we've interpreted the standard. 
Mary Chamberlain says it's no surprise consistency is an issue at this early stage. It's a problem that affects many forms of assessment, especially internal assessments like the national standards. She expects it'll take about two years to get to a point where 80% of teacher judgments are consistent. Another criticism of the standards is that they're not average levels of achievement. But Mary Chamberlain believes higher levels of literacy and numeracy are needed to lift educational performance in New Zealand, rather than remain at current levels. We looked internationally at what other countries had done, and the high-achieving countries do two things. They set their standards with a stretch, so they set high expectations, but they also put in high levels of support. Uh, the ones that aren't achieving so well, the ones that are more mediocre, set them in relation to where students are currently performing. They set them in relation to narrow tests, and then what happens is that you get mediocre results, uh, like England, and you get a narrowing of the curriculum as well. Mary Chamberlain says those high-achieving countries are Finland, Singapore and the Canadian province of Ontario. But standards critics say of those three, only Ontario has a standard system comparable to New Zealand's. And they add that perennial top performer Finland uses little assessment at all. And how aspirational are the standards anyway? The Ministry's estimates indicate that at most year levels, most children will achieve at or above the reading and math standards. It expects 50% of Year 1s, 60% of Year 4s and 60% of Year 8s will meet or exceed their reading standards. This is the maths and those are where you should be by the end of the year and around there for the start of the year. So I'm And in maths it expects 80% of Year 1s, 70% of Year 4s and 50% of Year 8s to reach or exceed the standards for their year level. The figures haven't been updated since last year, and the Ministry says it still has no estimates on the likely achievement rates for writing. It says it's still exploring them. But the accuracy of the maths and reading projections has been questioned. The Council for Educational Research last year estimated, for example, that the failure rate for Year 8 students in their maths standard will be 65%. Perry Rush says that raises two significant issues. Is it appropriate for us to be assessing students that are achieving well and labelling them as failures and I think that is a very significant professional and ethical issue for teachers and, and, and principals. Is it appropriate to be reporting them as being below or substandard when in actual fact that is incorrect? I doubt whether we would support that same idea in the medical profession, telling a patient that they are sick when in actual fact they're not, but for some reason we seem quite comfortable uh, assuming that that's appropriate in education. So there, there is a very substantive issue there. The other issue is an issue of whether these aspirational targets, these aspirational standards are meaningful. We know we have been told they have been built back from NCA Level 2, that that is the benchmark for success for all students. And I think it's great to have ambition, that's, that's an important thing. However, it's not OK to apply a one-size-fits-all idea about student achievement across children that we know absolutely uh, learn differently, are different achievers, and expect that that is going to provide us with information that is actually useful. Because this information isn't useful to me in my school. What is useful is for me to be able to know where the students are against those trusted expectations, because then I can use that data when I come to resource interventions in the school, when I come to identify children I want to see improving and apply that teaching resource to ensure that children are learning appropriately. So those two significant questions, I think, pose very serious concerns for professionals in schools.
Now you talked about the standards labelling children as substandard mm. and so forth and not recognising that children will be at different stages. But don't the norm reference tests do that too? And when you report to parents, you'll say, hey, Jimmy is not achieving at the normal level of achievement in maths for a boy of his age. With the national standards, it will inappropriately label students. It's not truthful. And to be able to, to send home a report saying, look, your student is failing, they are below standard, substandard, when in actual fact that's just not true, it is, a, is a very significant issue. The chair of the National Standards Sector Advisory Group, Gary Hawke, says labelling students as failures is one of the most common complaints about the standards. There are two major responses to that. Students have for a very long time been given results of tests, they acquired a knowledge of tests, they know how to respond to it. There's nothing new introduced by national standards in, in that respect. But the real point is that the essence of national standards is not the categorisation of students according to whether they're above, below, or well below, or well above a particular level. The standards are simply a tool for identifying the way in which uh, students are progressing in comparison with what we want their progress to be across the cohort as a whole. And from making that comparison, the really important thing is deciding what's to be done about it. The Minister of Education, Anne Tolley, acknowledges it's difficult for schools, which have for so long based reports on average achievement, but says it's a necessary and important change. What we're saying with the national standards is the opportunities for people when they go into the workforce now, the skills required, have taken a leap up. And we have an obligation then to make sure that we are preparing children well for what skills they need to have when they leave. So norm referencing is no longer enough. It still will happen, but what we're saying to parents is your children need to meet these expectations. If they're going to go through and achieve at the level that you want them to achieve and that we want them to achieve. So yes, they might be performing well for their age, but actually we need to be lifting that whole age group up and performing at a higher level if they are to reach NCA level two and beyond. In 2009, 73% of school leavers had at least NCA level two, and the government wants to get to a point where almost every child reaches that level. Even the standards critics don't argue with the point that the most important part of the assessment procedure is what's done with the information that's gathered. But they worry that'll be lost on the general public when the news media publish league tables showing how many children at each primary and intermediate school have met the standards and how many have not. Those tables are almost inevitable because there appears to be no way the government can prevent news organisations from getting schools' results through the Official Information Act, which gives access to much government data. Some educators fear they'll reflect badly on schools with large numbers of disadvantaged children. But Anne Tolley says some schools are already stigmatised and the national standards could improve rather than worsen that situation. Look, I think the decile system actually stigmatises schools more. People have very funny ideas about what a decile two or one school is. It has nothing to do with the intelligence of the children. So I think schools are already placed into little pigeonholes. I think actually the results for student achievement could surprise many people. So I'm not particularly worried that if we put extra professional development into school A, that community B are going to look differently at that school because they won't even know. So most of this is going to be going down on the ground and I think parents will be absolutely delighted they will see the changes in their children when they are getting the extra attention and they are learning these basic skills. Anne Tolley says the aspirational standards will raise expectations for all students, 
but the biggest impact should be on the lowest achievers. However, the president of the Principals Federation, Peter Simpson, is not convinced. We know that league tables will be used in overseas where this has happened and it becomes high stakes. That's when the curriculum gets narrowed because they are high stakes and schools do not want to look bad. All the overseas evidence says that is what will happen and that will be a tragedy for New Zealand's world-class education system. A parent who's a vocal opponent of the standards, Bill Courtney, agrees a narrowed curriculum is a real risk. What we really need to have in this discussion is a much better focus as parents and society and community generally on what it is that we really want our kids to do and to learn at school. And there's real dangers if we narrow down the focus of the teaching and learning just to the famous three R's, the basics, literacy and numeracy, and we cut off other areas. And here we are in the 21st century, but we're going forward into the great new digital world and we're still focusing only on the basics. The Ministry's Mary Chamberlain says that needn't happen. She says schools can teach reading, writing and math through subjects like science and the arts. But Peter Simpson says it's too risky. He says schools should be allowed to choose between reporting with the standards or using the benchmarks they were using before the standards were introduced. Here it's light blue and here's dark blue. I'm here at the start of the term. One of the government's reasons for introducing the standards is to improve school reporting to parents. But some parents, like video store owner Brett Wiegand, who has children at two Nelson schools, don't find national standards-based reports terribly helpful. I can't see any added benefit today. We had school reporting beforehand that provided more clarity to us than the actual generic standards or reporting mechanism that we're getting. So I don't see any added value at all. In fact, I see it as a negative. Other people, such as Masterton parent Laura Sabre, can see some value in the reports and the standards themselves particularly for older children. I have one child at intermediate school and two children at primary. I can make more sense of it at the intermediate school level. At the primary level, I still think there's a lot of variables there. But as far as how it grades the students, I, I understand it's at a higher level than what it used to be. And maybe that's not a bad thing that we're pushing our kids. And some of those opposed to the assessment, such as parent Bill Courtney, agree that the standards have had a positive impact on reporting. One of the things that has come out is that it's proven to be a good wake-up call for the schools to sharpen up their parent reporting, make sure the parents are on side with what's going on inside the classroom and how they can help their children's learning. And I think most schools would have sharpened up their parent reporting at some stage in the last year, regardless of whether they're doing standards or not. So I think that's a bit of a spin-off. But remember, we didn't need to spend tens of millions of dollars of taxpayer money to do that. The overarching justification for the standards is to lift underachievement. But New Zealand already is a high-achieving nation educationally. These children are in a school system that consistently ranks among the top 10 OECD nations in terms of 15-year-olds' average achievement in each of reading, maths and science. Our proportion of underachievers in those tests is about 14%, comparable to our neighbour Australia and lower than in most other OECD countries but the government wants to reduce that group even further. To that end, it's allocated more than $53 million between 2010 and 2014 to develop new support programmes for reading, writing and maths as part of its spending on the national standards. Tens of millions more is being spent on other aspects of the standards. Peter Simpson says that's a waste of money. He says the government should just give schools the new forms of support it's bankrolling and forget about the standards themselves.
Why are tens of millions of dollars being put into the implementation of national standards when we already have tools that identify those kids who are underachieving? Surely, surely, please God, that that money is used to help those kids learn. And look, New Zealand has some wonderful programs to lift student achievement. And we know that our Māori and Pacifica kids are overrepresented in, in that 14% who are not achieving. And we have wonderful programs like Kahikatea and Pacifica that we know are already starting to show signs of being successful. That bottom 14% and the underachievement of Māori and Pacific does seem extremely hard to shift. And people have been trying for 20 years. And you're right. What is missing from this argument about the underachievement and the overrepresentation of our Māori and Pacifica children in that group is poverty. And we know that you need to address poverty in the home before student achievement will lift. All the research will tell you that. And don't get us wrong, the sector is not saying fix these other things and then we'll fix the achievement. I know, and the sector knows how hard schools and teachers work to help these children. But there are issues outside of their control such as the high abuse rate of children in New Zealand is criminal. The whole issue of poverty and the family environment where there's violence, etc., that children come from, those issues need to be addressed as well as the learning needs of these children. And interestingly enough, those kind of debates are missing around this whole issue of underachievement. But the Ministry of Education's Mary Chamberlain says the national standards will make a difference. Well, the standards help because they set the expectation. Now, I've just been out talking, I've talked to about 50 schools in the last two weeks, and uh, what I've heard them saying is that the standards have caused them to look more closely at the progress of every student. And in some cases, the standards have caused them to recalibrate their expectations, if you like. So there is much closer looking at the pace that students are moving. Now, the standards themselves, of course, they're just standards, they're just benchmarks. They're just statements of expectation. So there's evidence coming in that they are an impetus for change uh, in the system by causing people to re-look at what's happening. But then, of course, it's the support that you put in around it. The standards don't do anything. Highly skilled and qualified teachers do things. So set the expectation, put your support in behind it to help teachers teach those kids that are struggling in a different way. At Solway Primary, Gail Marshall says the standards have helped the schools work with underachievers. We've got more data now. Viv and I are very much involved in our underachievers. And when we set up the learning programs for them, we can actually take the indicators and look at exactly what they need to progress to achievement. So it's a lot more direct, whereas before we would say things like, OK, they need comprehension. OK, what part of comprehension? You know, So it's got a lot more succinct about how we're getting programs set up for these children. But how many principals and teachers agree with Gail Marshall? And how many with national standards opponents like Perry Rush and Peter Simpson? Every figure on this issue is challenged by one side or the other. Did the near-unanimous vote of no confidence in the policy and in the Minister of Education by more than 700 principals in Wellington in April this year indicate nearly all principals oppose the standards? Or just that 700 principals feel that way? What is known is that the Principals Federation, representing almost all of the 2,300 principals working with the standards, is opposed to them, as are the Primary Teachers Union, the NZDI, and the Catholic Primary Principals Association. But most schools are implementing the standards, even if they're not completely happy with them. One of those adopting this kind of approach is the principal of St Francis de Sales School in Wellington's Island Bay, Alan Fleming. 
I see that they've got benefit, but I am in very much doubt about them because they've been introduced in a way that is totally different to how most change in education is introduced. National standards was done in a rush, done hastily in terms of preparing research background, preparing the standards themselves, and therefore it's flawed and risky. Why then is his school implementing the standards? For our school I, I had to make a pragmatic decision because schools are eternally busy with school development, professional development and we need to plan carefully to make the best use of staff and resources. And I made the decision that we had to adopt the standards. In a moral sense I saw that there was a legal requirement to do so but I felt that if I engaged any resistance from the school point of view then that was going to put our staff behind, create extra stress and pressure when we did finally need to catch up if we decided to, to adopt the standards. So pragmatic decision to introduce them and we've done so under reporting to parents using them and assessing using the national standards. Alan Fleming believes most principals have taken a similar position. The outcome of Friday's deadline for school standards targets will be a litmus test of the depth of feeling against the standards. Perry Rush is hoping for a good show of support for the opposition camp. We've had a survey on the, on the tracks. Uh, the information we've had back has indicated that it could well be up to about 28-30% of the national cohort of schools. We're aware that we've had about 350 schools in the Boards Taking Action Coalition to date, and we are very much hoping that that number will grow beyond 350. As at the middle of last week, the Ministry had received 1,615 charters, and of the 1,324 it had analysed, 87% had national standards targets. However, Perry Rush says many of the schools that say they're using the standards are not really, and however the numbers turn out, the schools in his group will not back down. At this point it's heading towards an almighty stoush. I certainly know that these 300 boards, and may well be 600, are not going to back down. We are very concerned, and rightly concerned. Uh, this is not a political struggle in the sense that there's any concern about favouring one party's perspective over another. This is an educational problem. These flaws are very significant in, in an educational sense. There's no desire to drive this to the brink. You know, there's every desire to try and sit down and craft a really sensible solution. And so that's what's hoped. And uh, I guess the ball is in the court of the ministry and the minister. What then will the government do about those schools? Anne Tolley says the focus right now is on those that are implementing the standards. Now eventually, as I understand it, ERO are talking with schools as they go around. We will identify the handful, I think, of schools probably next year that haven't or refused to implement the standards. And as I said all the way through, there's a process in place to work through with them. And I think as those parents understand the benefits that their children will get, we will see that resistance die away. We could see boards replaced by commissioners next year. I don't think we're at that space yet. I mean, that's the ultimate sanction that you have. But I've found, by and large, boards of trustees, once they've understood properly what the standards can do and the information that it can give them and then the support that's coming in behind that, have had a rethink, certainly the ones that I've been talking with. And I think that will happen over a period of time. National standards opponents certainly expect tougher action against them next year if National wins the general election in November. And if that happens, New Zealanders will get to find out if the national standards will enhance or harm their high-achieving school system. That Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by John Garretson.
It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Chris Adams.